Well, let's kick off today's time with another multiple choice question, uh, game time, if you will. And we'll give 37 bonus points today if you answer this one correctly. Uh, but let's do multiple choice, okay? So the question is, um, when you think about Jesus, what do you think of? Do you think A, the cross, burial, resurrection? Do you think B, all the miracles that He performed? Do you think C, a man of grace and peace and hope? Or do you think D, a man who one day completely went off and called people fools, blind guides, hypocrites, all the way to the point of sons of hell? Now, if you answered D, you get 37 bonus points because that's exactly where the text is going to take us today in our study. Uh, so I know that this, this game was subjective based upon thoughts, but D is the correct answer for the day. And you, if you answer D, you're the only one who gets 37 bonus points. But nonetheless, let's give a recap. So that kind of sets you up to where we're headed in the text today. But let's give a recap to how we got to this point of him completely going off and losing his mind. If you'll remember, Christ was asked back in chapter 21, by what authority do you do all of these things? The good things, the bad things, the teachings. By what authority do, do you do all of these things? And then Jesus responds with, because I'm the Christ. And He does that in several ways to which they reject. And then He gets to the point where He asks them, based on their rejection, if you'll remember in 22, He says, what do you think about the Christ? Okay, so he's, he's trying to probe them, and the reason being is because the way that you answer that question changes everything. The way that they answer the question changes everything, and the way that you and I answer the question, what do you think about the Christ, changes everything, right? So if we respond to that question by saying, um, well, here's what I think about the Christ, you're the Messiah, you are the substitutionary, atoning, saving one. You're the Savior of the world. You're the one who gives me righteousness in place of my sin, and you bear my sin in place of your righteousness. The great scandal of the gospel. If we respond to that, you're the one, you're the Savior, you're the, you're the Messiah, then we hear words like he says in John of, um, you're right, I came not to condemn the world, but that the world through me might be saved, and so I give life and I give it abundantly. Okay, so if we answer that way, that's the response we get. However, if we answer that question, what do you think about the Christ, more along the lines of this, oh man, he, he's a great guy, he's a warrior king, he's a good prophet, he's a great rabbi, even to the point of he's a way and not the exclusive way to the Father. He, he is a great way, if you choose to believe that way, to get to the Father. Then you don't hear, based on that answer to that question, we don't hear, I came not to condemn the world but to save it. We hear what he said in chapter 10. I didn't come to give peace, but I came with a sword. I came to divide. And so, based on how we answer this question changes everything. And that's what we're going to get to today into today's text. So, with that said, 
Let's see how this plays out together. We've made it to chapter 23, and by God's grace, we'll journey all the way through chapter 23 together. Um, so again, as we always pray, God speak beyond the voice of a mortal man and a camera. Um, Lord, by Your grace, would You let us see Christ more fully today. Um, so Holy Spirit, have Your way during this time. So here we are, chapter 23. Let's journey through this chapter together. Verse 23, uh, chapter 23, verse 1 says this, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to His disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. Now, Moses' seat quite literally was a stone seat that they sat on. And then number two, it was a representation of they are of the continued line of the keepers of the law. Okay, so it's saying kind of both of those things. The scribes sit on this seat but also are indeed the keepers of the law. Verse 3, so practice and observe whatever they tell you, but not what they do. For they preach, but do not practice. And so his point is a right teaching is not discredited by wrong actions. <laughs> so there is some merit to the old saying that says, uh, do what I say and not what I do. Okay, so this is his, his point here. The law is good and it's, it's right and it's for us, but there's something that the Pharisees are doing wrong in relation to the law. And so what exactly is Christ's beef with the Pharisees then? If, if the law is good, why would He say, don't do what they do? What is He talking about? Okay, so let's go on to verse 4 here. So verse 4 says this. Here's what they do. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. So, so what he's getting at is they lay all these crazy rules down on top of people. Laws upon laws upon laws. Not just the 613 commandments. They build laws around those laws. So much so, like some of those laws that they built were on the Sabbath day, you can't leap across a stream. Another law would be that you are not to take long strides. And that long strides themselves would be, in their opinion, a way that you begin to lose your vision. Okay, so these are heaping up these laws upon laws. Um, patches, you can't put patches on your shoes. And then others will say, no, 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 you can't put patches upon other patches on shoes. Okay, you see what I'm getting at? It gets crazy here. So they heap up these big laws, but they themselves are indeed willing to do those laws. Now be careful. This passage doesn't say that they're not willing to do those laws. So what are they doing? What they're doing is they're not willing to move a finger. They're not willing to assist other people when other people fall under the crushing weight of those laws. In other words, what Jesus is ticked at, what is setting Jesus ablaze is the fact that they're not willing to embrace grace. They're not willing to embrace substitution. They're not willing to embrace the fact that the law indeed itself was to show us its crushing weight and need for someone that can actually carry it for us. And so the problem with the Pharisees, when they asked the question, what do you do with the Christ? The first thing that they did was, Christ, 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 
Maybe he's coming, maybe he's not. When's he's coming? We don't know, all this kind of stuff. What we need to be concerned about is carrying all these laws. That's the point. And then this infuriates Christ. They're not willing to grant grace. And Messiah is the one with the right answer to the question, what do you do with the Messiah? He's the one who came to help us and assist us. That's his entire purpose, which they didn't understand. So what do you do with the Christ? You're going to hear that question a lot today. Um, maybe I could illustrate it this way. It's kind of like every now and then I, I'm able to go to the gym and, and run into our very own Sean Haydu. Um, Sean, as he's over there at the bench press machine, you know, he'll put on 300, 350 pounds and just be repping that thing, okay? Getting at it. But let's imagine Sean comes up to me and he says, now Troy, you have to put 300 pounds on this thing and go at it, okay? And so he forces me into this, and I get up under it, and he says, oh yeah, by the way, if you can't carry the weight, I'm not going to help you. And just lets that barbell come down and just crush across my chest, okay? That's kind of what we're getting at, is the Pharisees were not willing to help in weakness. They were willing to obey their own laws. This text does not say they're not willing to obey their own laws. That the problem Jesus had is they're, they're not willing to embrace substitution. They're not willing to embrace that we indeed need not other people to help us, but we need a Savior who can actually carry the weight. And this is a great gospel moment that, man, we just we don't need to pass by as we see this in this text. Religion says, figure it out. Figure out the law. And when it crushes you, get back up and figure out why it crushed you and carry it better the next time. That's what religion says. But the gospel in this moment, what infuriates Jesus is they didn't understand that the gospel says, obey the law. It's good for you, 100%. But when it crushes you, don't turn to yourself to fix it. Understand that it's crushing you to show you that the Messiah is standing right there for you to not only pick it up, but to put it on His own back to show you grace and mercy and love and peace. He is the Messiah. What do you do with the Christ? He's not the one to come heap more law on you. He's the one to help you carry the law that you already have and be your substitution for when it crushes you. And as we all know, as gospel believers, it will always crush us. And so the question is again, um, what do you do with the Christ over and over and over and over? It's not, um, can you live wrong and expect to die right, as some people have been talking about this week. The gospel question is, can anyone ever live right? The first one focuses on our ability to do right. The second one focuses on Christ's ability to do right in our place. So this is a huge gospel moment here, but let's just keep going through the text. I don't want to gloss over that. But verse 5, let's, let's continue seeing what Christ says about these people. They do all of their deeds to be seen by others. 
for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. Phylacteries were these boxes. I'll put it up on the screen right here. They were these boxes that held pieces of the law, and they would make them bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger so that, number one, you would always see a box on somebody's head, but the bigger the box, the more that they would get looked at. So they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes. These would have been tassels that they had on the ends of their prayer shawl. And Jesus would have worn tassels on the end of his prayer shawl 100%. But they made them bigger and broader and longer and the more righteous you were, the bigger and more gaudy tassel that you had. Okay, So this is what they're doing. They, they do their deeds to be seen by others. They make their phylacteries broad, their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogue and greetings in the marketplace and being called rabbis by others. So the point is, what do you do about the Christ? And what Jesus is saying is that their answer would have been, I don't, I don't know much about the Christ, but <laughs> do you notice the phylactery on my head? Do you notice how long my tassels are? Oh yeah, and by the way, that is pastor rabbi, right? I'm, 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 in the words of Anchorman, I'm, I'm kind of a big deal. People know me. Okay, so this is this is what they're saying here. And 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 Jesus, he he just can't. It just irks him to no end because it's all about the Christ. What do you think about the Christ? The answer shouldn't be it's me or what I'm doing. And 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 so he goes on to say this, verse eight. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. And so the point is, it's all about Jesus. And, and humanity is simply a brotherhood who falls in line with Jesus and bows to Him as not just Lord, but dictator. What do you do with the Christ? Are you okay with allowing Him to be your dictator? To, to, to be, the, be the one who, who's, who's king of all, who's lord of all. Are you willing to submit to this type of Christ? And, and so this is Christ's point. And on a side note, this is why at SHC we placed such a premium on the words that we use. Um, we worship alongside one another is, is how we phrase it. We do ministry together. We are family. This is why it's not Pastor Troy or Pastor Matt or Pastor Tyler, all of these things, because we're in it together. Why? Because it's all about Jesus. What do you do with the Christ? Is He a tag-along with your ability or is he supreme dictator and ruler of all? Is he Lord? And that's Jesus is getting at. And, and the Pharisees could not embrace that form of Jesus. Verse 11, The greatest among you shall be your servant, and whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. In other words, have a heart for your fellow man, and have a heart for your fellow man based out of your heart for the Lord. 
And this is a natural byproduct of a heart for the Lord. In other words, this is the exact opposite of verse 4 where they tie up heavy burdens and lay them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move a finger. Jesus is saying is the heart of true gospel salvation, the heart of one who understands who the Christ is, is one who loves his brother so much that he wants to be there for him. And we want to grow to one another and we want to push one another to be more like Christ. But when our brother falls, we're not there to walk away and go, can't believe you fell, get up on your own. We walk in and go, hey, I'm here with you and remind you, here's what the gospel says about you. Here's what the gospel says about life. Here's who Christ is. Let's lean in on Christ together is the heart. And their hearts were all about their self and their righteousness. And so... With that said, we make it to verse 13. And so the question would be, how does Christ respond if we get the question wrong, what do you do with the Christ? And the answer is, <laughs> woe Nelly. It's, it's actually seven woe Nellies that we're going to see in this passage. Um, your answer determines what does Christ say about you? So we think of the question, what do we say about the Christ? And the way that we answer determines what Christ says about us. And that's where we're going to find ourselves in this text. So let's look at this text and then we'll, we'll see something pretty neat as we journey through it together. As a matter of fact, we're going to go full screen because I want you to see this text as a whole and kind of see this pretty neat little thing that's going on in it, okay? So let's do that now. And so goes on to say this, verse 13, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across land, um, sea and land, to make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as you yourselves. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, If anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is better, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And if you say, If anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by those who sit, uh, by him who sits upon it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. Those you ought to have done without neglecting the others, you blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and plate, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence, you blind Pharisee. First clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Sixth time, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, 
For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. And then the final seventh woe. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, If we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Oh boy on that one. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore, I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some who you'll flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of innocent Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Again, how you answer the question, what do you do with the Christ, determines what does the Christ say about you. And here we find seven woes. And as you'll see on the screen, it's a pretty neat format. And I'm going to show this to you. It's, it's called a, a chiasm. Um, it's, it's a linguistic uh, use to, to give a repetitive point, and Jesus does this. So let's look at the first woe. The first woe was basically, in a nutshell, you reject the Christ as Messiah. And what He said was, you reject the door, you reject the access point. So, it's possible to know the Scriptures and not only reject the Christ, but also prevent others from knowing Him. And so by your churching, there's a way that you can handle what do you do about the Christ that produces tares and not wheat, that actually shuts people away from Christ and focuses them more on themselves. So, in other words, good conduct is good and, and it's even essential, but good conduct get, gets no one into the kingdom. Okay, so that's woe one. Woe two, you act religious, but you do more harm then good is the overall point. And so what he's saying is it's, it's possible to do religious works, but, but in doing so, make others sons of hell. Now, how's that even possible? Well, think about it, because discipleship, it can either be freedom or it can be bondage depending upon what you're reproducing. If you're reproducing disciples who trust in their own works, you're actually producing bondage disciples. If you're producing disciples that are freed to Christ and Christ alone, constantly answering the question, what do you do with the Christ as He's the Messiah? Then you actually birth them into freedom. And so it's disciples of freedom. And, and so this is what Jesus is saying. And, and several um, times throughout ministry, I, I've seen people producing disciples who basically just get together and smoke cigars on a back porch and drink cheap whiskey and talk about um, how bad a job the church is doing in the world. Okay, That's not producing Christ-like disciples. It's producing um, men who are just angry. right? 
And so, what do you do with the Christ? Do you see how this fits in? It all fits in. Woe number three. Okay, let's keep going. Woe number three basically is you bend the Scriptures instead of letting the Scriptures bend you. So, what he's saying, it's, it's possible to bend the Scriptures to justify your sin. And his, his illustration was all of that stuff about the temple, and basically boiled down in a nutshell, what they had done was they had actually allowed for lying. And so, if you made an oath based on certain portions of the temple, then you, you weren't held accountable for lying. And if you did on other parts, you were held accountable for lying. And so, they bent the Scriptures actually to justify their sin. Okay, so, so this is what he's getting at. And that leads us to woe four. The woe four could be summarized with, you allow the law to penetrate your actions, but you thwart its penetration of your hearts. So you love to put the phylacteries on and lengthen and all this kind of stuff, but your hearts are all wrong. And so this is what he kind of gets in in that woe for. It's just the old saying, right? The heart of the human issue is the issue of the human heart. Um, so does your heart beat for self or does it beat for Christ? So that makes it to woe for. Now watch what happens with woe five. Woe five comes back down in parallel to woe three. He says, again, basically, you bend the Scriptures instead of letting the Scriptures bend you. And so he does this with the laws of cleanliness. And he's, he's saying, yes, you can, you can do the laws of cleanliness and clean things, and it be completely devoid of genuine emotion. right? So maybe a way that we could look at it today, the question would be, is it better to build a, habit, a habitat home for someone or to examine your own heart? And the answer to that question is to examine our heart. If we're asking the question, what do we think about the Christ, then it's all about our hearts, right? So we get our hearts right first, and then we can rightly build a habitat home. Or we can build a habitat home and still be as lost as the day is long and be a son of hell if we're trusting in it for our righteousness or goodness before God, okay? So you see what's going here. So you can guess what's going to happen with the woe six, right? So woe six is you act religious, but you do more harm than good. He, he calls them whitewashed tombs, which is very interesting uh, because a whitewashed tomb, as they come up for Passover, they would take lime and they would wash the tombs so that people would know, I don't need to go near that because it's a tomb and I don't want to violate myself. I don't, I don't want to become unclean by getting near a tomb. And so the argument is, you in your religious works are actually teaching people how to whitewash themselves. How to do good works and appear to be clean, but really on the inside are dead bones. And so it points away from Christ. Again, the question, what do you do with the Christ? It points away from that and points them to themselves. And that, this right here that you're looking at on the screen, man, this is my greatest fear in what's going on in many, many churches today. Is, is it has a veneer of Christianity, but when you listen to the message, it really is all about me and how I can become a better person, how I can do this, and it's just whitewashing a tomb, which is why it's safe haven. We always want you to hear Christ, 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 Christ. And then let's keep going to Woe 7. And Woe 7, you can see, is ends where he began with you reject the Christ as Messiah. And in this one, he, he says, just like your fathers did. 
Um, and so in doing so, you, you deny your own claim to not be like your fathers. And then he says this, he says, you'll receive the, the full measure of wrath. And, and so what he means by that is they did believe that you could do certain amounts of sin and it was like pouring water into a cup. And once you finally reached a tipping point, that's when God's wrath came. And so you could, you could fill up the measure of wrath and that's when you received it. And what Jesus is saying is, go ahead and fill up, uh, fill up the measure of wrath. And in doing so, they would by crucifying Jesus Himself, rejecting Him. Going back to the question, what do you think about the Christ? They were not willing to say He's a Messiah, therefore they must kill Him. And so all of that finds its root again in the question, what do you think about Christ? Is He a good man or is He God? Is He the substitutionary one? And as we wrap it up today, we make it to verse 37. Before we get into verse 37, by the way, if, if, if someone ever calls you in a conversation a hypocrite, blind fool, whitewashed tomb, lawless, snake murderer, son of hell, they're genuinely and generally repulsed by your presence, okay? So this is a big deal again to Jesus. What do we think about Him in our lives? And so here's the finality of this moment. Verse 37, O Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stone those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not. So see, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And that phrase, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, it'll be said by everybody. And believers will say that in worship. Blessed is He, the Messiah, the Christ, who comes in the name of the Lord, my substitution, the one who carries my burden, the one who picks the weight up off of my chest, the one who, when the law crushes me, shows me that He's strong enough to bear the weight of the law and bear the weight of its crushing. Blessed is He. But unbelievers will not say this phrase in worship, but they'll still say it. But one day, if you're an unbeliever, you'll say that as well in remorse. In remorse that while God was being patient with you, giving you time to answer the question, what do I do about the Christ rightly? He gave you that grace, but it runs out. And then it turns to justice. If you've rejected, you'll still say, blessed is he who comes. But you'll be forced to in remorse, acknowledging who he is, that he is who he said he is, the Christ, the Son of the living God. Well, to those who rejected Him in this passage, what did the passage say? To those who rejected Him, they received desolation. Um, in rejecting Christ, as Christ turned to walk away, 
God Himself quite literally walks out as Jesus walks out. Instead of those who reject Him, you find desolation. Back to exile. Back to the wilderness. Back to emptiness and depending on yourself, which is impossible. You might make it through your 70 plus years, but it'll end there. It'll terminate because the access point to eternity is the Christ. And so, to those who rejected Him, desolation. But, to those who embrace Him, tender protection and care. It's what we receive. <laughs> you are pulled in under the wings of God Almighty. Like a hen gathers her chicks. That's our promise. We're pulled in up under His wings. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it. And so He huddled us, uh, huddles us in. We're prone to go do what little chicks do and run out in the middle of the road and try to jump off of limbs that we can't jump off of and, and whatever. Whatever chicks do, okay? We're, we're prone to do all that and more. And if we embrace the Christ... If we embrace Him as Lord, He, he hems us in in His tender arms and doesn't just protect us, but provides for us nourishment. We're under the wings of Almighty God. So one last time for the day. Who do you say the Christ is?